Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast and back for his weekly visit. It's Frank from Rockets Chop Shop. And Frank, the Rockets look like they might be turning a corner three weeks ago when they won six out of 10 with a seven game homestand approaching. I was all excited, but since then they've dropped nine out of 10. And Eric Gordon says he sees no improvement from last year. None. Do you see improvement? I can't speak for EG because obviously he has a unique perspective. He's a player, so his word is more valid than any of ours could be as far as whether he sees improved because he's actually in it. But from the outside looking in, I have to say, I mean, I have seen improvement in certain aspects of the team. Um, obviously, one of the main things is their rebounding, uh, which was something that I really, really was really disappointed in last year. Um, rebounding to me, uh, you know, to, it's a hustle stat and, um, you know, for a team with all these young guys, that was really, really kind of, it was terrible for us last year. The improvement they've made in that aspect of the game, um, is, is really kind of remarkable over the course of a uh, off season. Um, other than that, um, you know, defensively slightly better, um, you know, they're some of their, uh, their games, they, they're not the worst defense in the NBA anymore. I think they're like third worst now. So that's a little improvement over there. One thing that has been kind of really surprising for me, um, especially given Silas's, uh, uh, you know, what his the claim of him being like this offensive guru is that their their offense is really really taking a hit this season, um, and really across the board. And so um, I guess the way I look at it, on the macro level, they've made um, really marginal improvements in certain areas. Individually, I think individual players have made some improvement to their game um, over from last year to this year. Now, you could attribute that to just random growth and guys just being older and more experienced, or maybe it's something intentional that coaching staff did. But um, I can't say there has been zero improvement. Um, but, yeah, there is not a lot if you look at it from a big picture standpoint. Yeah, you and I have assumed that the Rockets – and maybe Silas are trying to tank. I think a lot of fans think that. I hear guys on Spaces say this is, you know, Silas can't be this dumb. He's, he may be trying to do stuff based on coaching rotations, playing time, et cetera. But man, uh, John Granato with ESPN 97.5 has said more than once on his show recently that he knows for a fact the Rockets are not tanking right now. He says they want to win. Renato stays in communication with Tillman Fertitta. He's mentioned it a number of times on the show, Frank. And I'll also point out he's predicted a couple of major Texan stories in the last couple of years based on his inside info. So I, I, I sort of have to take him at his word. And maybe that's more concerning than the fact that they were trying to tank. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't believe they were trying to tank um, since last year. I don't know when, you know, I, I can't even think, you know, if we really want to go, go way back, the wow factor is all you need to know about this team. Despite the fact that, you know, basically I think they conceded the, that we were going to lose our pick to OKC in 2021 and they try to win. And just by dumb luck and just sharing competence, we were able to be so bad at trying to be good that we ended up getting the pick regardless. So um, there's nothing that indicates to me that they've been trying to tank. You see the lineups that they've been throwing out there. Whenever there's veterans available, Kosalas plays them, um, you know, and he just does things that looks like he's trying to win. And 
I don't know how anybody could be faking some of those post-game conferences that he has. He literally looks sick sometimes uh, um, after the game. You could see the distraught and all the stuff on his face. So I don't think he's putting himself through that on purpose. That looks like a guy that's trying to do something and is not uh, being successful at it. So, yeah, as far as the reports of his um, his time running short in Houston, I wouldn't be surprised if, if you know, if it happened in the offseason, if it happened midseason – like uh, like they predicted, then I'd really be surprised because I'm not sure what people expect from this roster with the way it's poorly built. For example, we just had Dacia Nix be the backup point guard, and all of a sudden he falls off the face of the earth in his DNP. Yeah. You know, so those types of questions about roster construction, I think if, if Silas is going to get some blame, uh, Stone should also get some blame because if they are trying to compete and this is Rafael Stone's idea of a competitive roster, then we have bigger questions in our coach. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to agree with you. The, the veterans playing to me is a bigger sign than anything. And, you know, I, I get it, Eric Gordon, maybe you got a deal done behind the scenes with him, but there's just times in the game and things that he's doing. And I'm like, yeah, this is, this seems like a guy maybe trying. He thinks he's making the moves to, to win the game. But uh, just want to remind everybody real quickly to subscribe and comment on YouTube. And I, I, by the way, I want to avoid the, the front office and coaching for just a second. Maybe this is not going to avoid it. But I want to simplify exactly why the Rockets do not win, Frank, and what directly leads to winning. We don't say this enough, but in the NBA, the team with the best player on the floor usually wins the game. They, they definitely win the series when you talk about the playoffs. That almost is 100% the case. The Rockets' best player, whoever you think it is, I'm just going to say it. He's not good enough. The NBA is loaded. Whether you think it's, it's you know, Jabari or Jalen or Shangoon or whoever you think is, the, or Kevin Porter, it doesn't matter. How many teams, Frank, is our best player better than the other teams and the Pistons with an injured Cade Cunningham? is what comes to mind, but who else? <laughs> well, I mean, even if uh, if Bojan or whichever one he is, if he's healthy, he's better than everybody on our team. Um, he's a real NBA player, so he's a vet. You know, if we're talking about potential, then, yeah, we got a, guys with a lot of potential. But right now in the NBA, he's he's a better player, and he's really good, honestly. Um, you go to Orlando, I'm going to start just looking at the bottom tier teams. Orlando, Paolo is probably better than everybody on this roster. Um you go to San Antonio, you got Keldon Johnson and Vassell. Those are guys, uh, I'm not sure, that's debatable. OKC, SGA is better than everybody on this roster. Um, you know, and then you start getting into the top tier teams, which those are self-explanatory. And, you know, my one thing that I started thinking of is, like, people assume that this, like, linear progression into the playoffs next year. And I'm thinking, like, in order to get into the playoffs, that means you got to knock off one of those teams that are playoff contenders. In order to do that, like to your point, you got to have the players that are better than theirs, coaches that are better than theirs, and a front office that's better than theirs to say that you are just that much superior, that you are going to be better than them and take their spot. Because it's not like there's, oh, the Rockets are ready to be in the playoffs. Let's add an 11th roster to it. You're going to have to beat somebody out of it. You're going to have to have better players than other teams. And you know, just thinking across the lead, even uh, the league, even some of the bottom tiers, uh, Charlotte, Lamelo is probably better than everybody on this roster. The Pacers, um, Halliburton is better, probably better than uh, everybody on this roster. Um, you know, they have vets over there as well. I mean, I don't know. I, I can't really think. Maybe I'm missing a bad team. I'm really trying to go through it in my head right now. 
I can't think of a team that we have our best guy. Um, and I think it's right now it's probably KPJ um, that he's better than just another player on a team. I, I can't think of a certainty. What about you? I'm curious to see if you, if you've thought about this. Yeah. I mean, I think the San Antonio guys that you mentioned, it's a little bit debatable with the Rockets and, you know, I, I'm going to get to the guy that I think is the best player on the roster. And, and you and I have said this before, and, and I think you know who I think is the best guy on this roster. I, I don't think it's Kevin Porter, although he's moving up the way he's playing right now. But I want to get to one of the other things that leads to winning, and it's three-point percentage. And the Rockets are 28th in the NBA in three-point percentage, but they take the 10th most attempts of any team in the NBA. Their three-point shooting has to improve, and that comes down to three players who lead the Rockets in three-point attempts, Jalen, Jabari, and KPJ. They take about 19 per game, and all shoot under 34%. So, or, you know, 34% or under, basically. So nothing changes, Frank, until you start shooting the ball better. And and we see it over and over again in in the NBA. The team that hits more three-pointers typically wins the game. Yeah, their three-pointers have been just really bad this year. And I think that may be the reason why Silas is on the hot seat. Because if, if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing as your superpower, then what is – because he's not a defensive coach. He's not a guy that's going to, like, be the thug-it-out, toughness type of guy. His thing, he's an offensive kind of minor coach. And um, the players offensively – I mean, you saw the game without Shangun. They look like they could not do anything. Uh, uh, for them. And the fact that Shangun is probably the most pivotal player in impacting their three-point shooting um, and they still play him on low minutes is just craziness to me. But I'm looking at, you know, from last year to this year, uh, you know, their uh, shooting has gone down pretty much across the board. Uh, You know, the EFG is down 2%. Turnovers are up uh, for the team. Um, They're not generating a lot of corner threes, which is what you would expect from a spread pick and roll team. Um, I'm, you know, looking on cleaning the glass right now from the trends from when we had James Harden in the past, you know, five years he was here. The Rockets were always in the kind of the 12, 13 percent on corner threes as far as the percentage of their shots. Um, in the past two years, we're six and seven percent. And that's not going to cut it in this style of offense. Re- literally, one of the key things in this offense is to generate those corner threes. Because when the lob isn't there, the help is going to come from that big man, from um, from those corners. And as you know, we don't have a point guard that's able to make those reads. So it's not, you know, it is a, a question to ask. And I think, you know, you, I think you were on the space I was at, um, on yesterday and people were asking me about, do I blame Silas or the offense for this with the players that we have? It's a mixture of both. It's like he's banging his head on doing what he has to do seeing clearly the players he has do, do not fit this playing style. You want to talk about three-point shooting. They're not generating uh, corner threes. They're not shooting well. They're not, when they do run pick and rolls, we're one of the worst pick and roll teams, yet we're still top five in frequency. It's just a mismatch across the board. And um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I am getting a little concerned about the, the Rockets, just the outlook, because time is not on our side. As every day passes, we get closer to the offseason. We get closer to the trade deadline. We get closer to the draft. We get closer to a season where we're supposed to be competitive. And it's just things are just kind of at a standstill right now. Yeah, you said it. The the type of threes they generate are not the best threes. And I just looked this up 
uh, in the last couple of days. Most of the Rockets fan base, though, knows that KPJ way better on catch and shoot three three pointers, way better than self created ones. But Frank, a couple of days ago, you know, when I looked at Jalen's two worst shots, he had 73 step back jumpers with a 30% success rate and 132 pull up jumpers at 31%. These were like the shots that he's taken a ton. He had 137 pull-ups all of last season. So he's pretty much equaled that already this year. He's nearly uh, shooting 40% last year, where this year it was only 31%. So it, it tells me that, you know, this is a, there's a lot of things going on with that. And you could talk about what, what he's generating. But I say most of Jalen shots are actually, when they're jumpers, they're open. It's just a matter of him knocking them down. Yeah, he's um, what I've he profiles as a, a a movement shooter that comes off screens. I think the Rockets are rightfully trying to explore his isolation scoring, but my thing is they should have done this last year. Once again, back to that thing about the timeline. This is why a lot of us were saying, "Why were you doing all this stuff with Tate and Wood and all this crap last year?" Why were you not um, prioritizing Jalen Green as a ball handler last year as in his rookie season? Because the more you explore Christian Wood's offensive game and whether he's a fit here, the less time you have to figure out about some of these young guys if you drafted so high. They do, they, they're doing the same thing with Jabari Smith Jr. right now. For whatever reason, this ties in back into what you were talking about. They're not trying to tank. If they were trying to tank, Jalen Green last year would have been all these stats you named, we would have been talking about this last season. And maybe he would have improved by now um, over the offseason and knowing that this is an area he has weakness in. We're going to see the same thing with Jabari. He's going to have these stretches where he looks like the worst player in the NBA offensively. And thank God for him that he has a motor defensively or he would get that label. Um, I think his defense does help him. People look at him and say, okay, that guy's not lazy. He's just having a slump. But if it, if he was lazy on, on um, defense – you look at some of the numbers he had in certain stretches, he looks really, really bad. And, you know, once again, the creativity to get him involved in the offense. He's not a guard, so he can't isolate like Jalen and KPJ. So he's just a kind of like a secondary thing that they use supplementally to generate, you know, for the guards to whether they want to decide to pick and pop with. Um, I think Jalen is being miscast right now. I, I, I like the ball handling. Um, that I'm seeing from him. I like the playmaking that he's flashed this year. I'm not happy with the defense. Um, I think it, it, it regressed some. I'm not happy with some of the, the body language stuff. I think that's also regressed some from uh, from the kid that we saw last year. Um, but I think that he's being miscast as what they're trying to make him do. And uh, that is definitely a product of the offense that he's in. He shouldn't be taking step back threes. That's not his game. Um, that guy should be working off of screens, using his speed and athleticism as a weapon and running around, making defenders have to chase him. He's one of the fastest dudes in the league. And that's, you know, to me, a, a good comp offensively. He's closer to like Steph, not shooting wise, but his shot archetype should be like that. But I would say a good comp for him is going to be Jordan Poole, which is a healthy mixture of isolation but Jordan Poole is a movement shooter where he comes off a lot of curls and, and different types of screens in the Warriors offense. Uh, when he does isolate, he does really, really bad. So, you know, I just think that's another thing that's on the coaching and the, the front office. All right. I, I've kind of been nice so far. Now I'm not going to be so nice. Uh, <laughs> the Rockets 
can't win until, and you just talked a little bit about this, until Jalen Green and Kevin Porter stop being the laziest backcourt in the NBA. And let me tell you what I'm talking about. Not sure how many times I see them flat-footed in transition defense or when there's a rebound to be had or for a loose ball. If the clock is moving, you got a job. Just straight-up laziness, Frank, or a refusal to get dirty is just not acceptable. Yeah, it's, I'm, you know, I, can I, I'm going to be honest, I'm a little worried about Jalen mm-hmm. um, because one thing that I always count banked on him is his work ethic. And I, you know, I assume that I'm hoping still, I'm, I haven't given up yet that he's cut from a different cloth. Like we've heard the, that he has a very like aggressive work ethic. And, and when it comes to basketball, I, I would hate for him to be a guy that only is good when he's scoring because to me, then he's just a role player. Um, and he has to be dynamic. You have to be able to to get up for defense. Um, all the great guards, um, two guards, especially in the NBA, in a, you know, if he's not going to be a James Harden, where he's generating like 100% of a team's offense and is just a savant, which he isn't, um, he needs to be a two-way player and be able to impact the game all around. And, you know, it's hard to tell because his vet is KJ Martin, <laughs> you know, his vet is KJ Martin, the right, ro- the roster. Once again, let's fall back on that is so poorly built not to consider you have seven first round picks on this roster and you have veterans like Jay Sean Tate, who was playing in the rookie sophomore game last year, or maybe the year before KJ Martin, who was just in high school two years ago, it feels like, and guys like Boban who, you know, he's a great friendly guy, but what is Boban going to tell Jalen Green about doing what's right on his drives or not taking dumb shots? Well, his vet is still Eric Gordon because Eric Gordon is still on the team miraculously, and that guy doesn't care about playing hard either. The vet has probably thrown his hand. I'm sure he's Matt might have tried to talk to them, but um, Eric is not that type of guy. You know, he's not going to be in people's faces. He's not confrontational. He's not the Udonis Haslam type or the Pat Bev type that's going to get on you in real time when you mess up and you cuss you out. They need that. These these dudes are young men. They need structure. Um, anybody that says otherwise has never really been around young men, young athletes. You can't just give them a buffet and let them tell them, go do what you want. That's a recipe for disaster. And, you know, if you're not going to get it from Coach Silas, then um, they could have supplemented with the roster and having a lot of veteran presence of real veterans that are, you know, the aggressive type to kind of keep them in line. But I think they've there's been a failure across the board. And honestly, reality is going to set in for a lot of the fan base that, you know, lives in this pie in the sky view of the of rebuilds. You've said it. I've said it. You know, Mike on Spaces has said it. If you watched enough rebuilds, you know how these go. You can't mess up on the little things. The teams that are successful hit on every single thing. This is the hardest thing a, a franchise is does in the NBA is go from being the the bottom to getting back to the top. This is the hardest a part of of uh, building a team is starting from the bottom and having little gaffes here and there. They add up and ultimately, um, you know, it's looking like this is going to be extended a little bit longer than people think. When Ryan Hollins has to say on the broadcast, like he did in the Mavericks game. You know, this they should take a timeout here. There needs to be some accountability when the team is not doing what it's supposed to do, getting back on a fast break. And, you know, I know who the culprit was on that fast break, and his name starts with Jalen. And so when that's not happening, 
you know, that that's part of the big issue with with Jalen Green is the accountability. And I try to get away from the coaching for most of this, but I'm going to start getting back into it, Frank. And let me talk about the Rockets. I think their best player is a guy named Shane Goon. 26 minutes per game is how much Shane Goon plays. He, if he was an average normal starter, he would have 19 points and 11 rebounds per game. And that's why I think he's the best player. His true shooting has gone from 55% to near 61% this year. Is Shane Goon's minutes about foul trouble? No. Has it been an issue? Yeah, a couple of times it's been an issue. But no more than Jabari, who's averaging more minutes a game than Shane Goon. How many minutes in the last month? I mean, how many times has Shane Goon's coach iced his own player because he's got a three-man rotation going at center. And Alpi is sitting on the bench, Frank, for 20 to 25 minutes in real time. This is an issue. That's been the strangest thing of all of this is, like, you can look at all the numbers you just said. I mean, there's more numbers. I've done videos on their clutch minutes. He's the best defender in the clutch for them. He's the When he's not on the floor in those clutch minutes, their offense literally falls off the face of the map. And these are closing closing minutes of a game um, and substantial amounts of, of minutes because we're always, you know, one of the improvements they've made, they don't get blown out as, as much as they did last year. So they have been in a lot of close games this year. And when he is in, we're a good team. You know, we're a good team. The percentages are all through the roof. I also did a video to show um, in four of the games where he was able to be featured as a hub where they allowed him to get a lot of front court touches um, on the team, more than the, uh, you know, basically the average between uh, Jokic and Sabonis, which is around uh, just over 40 front, front court touches, which is a lot for a big man. The offense is like 118 points per possession. Assist percentage is, would be second in the league in those games if, if that was the case. The true shooting is, I think, like up in the high 50s. Jalen is averaging 20 something, like 26 and a half points. He's shooting 50% from the field in those games and shooting 37% from three in those games. The only person that struggles in those games is Kevin Porter Jr. So it, it comes down, honestly, I think it's a prioritization of KPJ and his development, because if you look at the numbers, currently in aggregate, him and Shangun aren't there. They haven't been mixing. Recently, they have. And I think that lends to some of the success that he's having. Because a lot of that success was stuff that Jalen was having when he plays his two-man game. So let me let me clear the, clarify this for, for the audience. When Shangun and Jalen play a lot of minutes together, Jalen plays better. When Shangun plays a lot of minutes, Jalen plays better. When Shangun doesn't, Jalen suffers. Now that Shangun and KPJ are running a lot of actions together, you see uh, KPJ's is actually becoming more efficient. So... I don't know, man. You tell me. I, uh, we, you know, that that doesn't math up to me. So that just tells me that the Rockets have a clear priority. It's not Jalen Green. It's not Alperen Shangun. It's Kevin Porter Jr. And um, you know, to the you know, a lot of fans, it just seems that way. You could look at it. Everything they've done from the John Wall thing to uh, having Jalen as a secondary player last year, the guy who drafted number two, to what we're seeing this year with trying to bench Shangun at the start of the season. Um, coming in for Bruno, the quote-unquote lob threat, um, to give uh, an easier read for Kevin Porter Jr. Everything they've done is for him, and I guess it, it means that they think he's going to be the franchise player. I'm going to go back to the minutes deal with Shane Goon because when, let's just say he had legitimately 
has foul trouble in the third quarter. Silas will sit him, Frank, for 12 game minutes. So the Rockets are now halfway through the fourth quarter and the score is out of hand. So by the time you bring Shangun back in, the game's over. So basically he gets in foul trouble in the third quarter, but never comes back in the game until it's garbage time. Yeah, it's, I mean, he does that with a lot of players. I mean, there's times he'll sit Jalen for like a whole quarter or, you know, or the fourth quarter, he'll wait till like three or four minutes to bring some of the guys in. I mean, how, what can you do in three or four minutes when the game is pretty much on the way? The other team that's better than you, their starters have been in since like seven minutes and killing your bench. Now, all of a sudden, you're supposed to come off the bench with four minutes left to save the game. So it's, it's a lot of just random stuff like that. Um, Bruno Fernando, um, also, I don't know what happened to him. He's just fallen off the face of the earth. Um, he played much better last year. I'm not sure what what's going on, if he's injured or something. Um, you know, Garuba is a great hustle and defender, great rebounder. Offense isn't there. Um, there was a couple possessions where teams, I think it was Dallas, where they literally just ignored him. Like they looked at him and just like, no, we're not, we're just going to box out. You can go ahead and shoot. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's strange. The minutes thing, um, the fouls, I mean, he had five fouls when they, when they beat Philly in that double overtime game coming into the game with two minutes left. And he stayed in the game, the rest of the game into the first overtime and then foul out to the second overtime. Um, and honestly, if they really cared, playing with fouls is a development time. You know, that's a thing you could teach a player. Like they need to learn to do that. You don't bench. If James Harden was on a team and he had five fouls and it's, you know, a game you want to win, you're not going to bench him just because he might foul out. You might be, you might sit him down earlier and during the game, but when it's crunch time, you let your guys go and you trust them. And if they foul out, it's a learning experience for the young guys. But once again, they're not tanking. A lot of this big brain stuff is, um, I think a lot of Silas trying to force his philosophies and uh, ultimately, if you back it up even further, then you look at the roster he has, it's it's poorly built. And, you know, that's on the front office as well. There's some things about a few players that I, I need to get cleared up. And because what Silas is doing, I'm not really sure about him. But you mentioned Garuba, and we talk about him because what he does affects Shane Goon as far as minutes and everything goes. And I'm just wondering, do, do you think it gets to the point where he is a playoff rotation player and I I ask it because I'm not seeing it and offensively no no outside shot uh he doesn't have an offensive game basically at all hitting an occasional flat foot jumper when nobody's within 15 feet is nowhere close to enough and he's not a good finisher around the rim he misses even layups his passing and his defense basically has to be Draymond Green elite to make up for all that his passing I think it's overrated by Rockets fans. His defense is good, but it's not good enough to make up for what he's not giving you, Frank. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's still early. I'm looking now. I mean, his offensive rating is 101. I mean, that's that's pretty bad. I mean, that's he's literally the worst offensive player on the team. Um, playoffs, I don't know. Um, you know, if he develops a jumper over the next half decade or something, maybe. But like you said, in order to make up that gap, you, he really has to be dynamic in other parts of his game. And um, nothing except maybe the rebounding right now is elite. And we've seen it even with players that are better than like Clint Capella. The, Clint, the Warriors made Clint Capella unplayable in a lot of those games. And he, he's a great rim. Like So we should know as Rockets fans that some of these flaws that people have, when you get to the 
playoffs, every round you go up, it's magnified times a thousand. And Capella Having can at least finish that, around the rim. I mean, he could, yeah, he was a lob threat, and they took that away, and he was useless. And they basically, Mike D'Antoni stubbornly let him play out, and, uh, you know, to the point where Steph went for 30 because he was, uh, you know, trying to keep Capella on the court in the half. But, you know, it's, um, I can't think of any of these guys in the playoffs, honestly. Like, we're so bad. You know, to me, the only way that they could keep that pick next year or, or, you know, even be a decent team, they have to overhaul the entire roster and keep just a couple spare parts around, a couple of the the core guys. But I'm talking about cleaning house. Like, probably six or seven guys wouldn't be on this roster if you want to make the playoffs next year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jabari, I I mean, I I still have a lot of confidence. And and the one thing about Jabari is – we don't typically see him flat-footed. We don't see a lot of the bad habits that some of the other guys have picked up. And Shane Goon, I'll say the same thing about him uh, to an extent. KJ Martin is 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 like that as well. But um, that that that's the deal. I I think you're right. I, well, it, it kind of comes down to the two guards. To be honest, I mean, wait, I keep coming back to those guys. The offense is built around them, and the perimeter defense. Um, despite what people tell you, um, the reason, honestly, the reason Shangun's issues are highlighted because the perimeter is so bad. Um, if because honestly, you would need prime Dwight Howard to be back there to make our defense passable um, with the way the perimeter defense is, and I think that's when people see that the defense is bad, they think it's because of Shangun, but his limitations aren't able to make up for the bad defense. That's what I'm trying to say. So the defense is not bad because of him, but he doesn't help. And I think that's why you would think like, okay, put somebody back there. If you do that, you're just conceding that my guards are just bad at defense. And that's where we're going to be. And you can't win like that. You know, there's been teams that like on a lot of those Dwight Howard teams that he's played on, whether in Orlando, that where they have guards that aren't that good and they just let him do everything. Yeah, you're going to win all these awards and all that. But at the end of the day, if you have a porous uh, perimeter defense, teams are going to kill you in the playoffs. You know, and don't let them spread you out and get, you know, nowadays people are playing spread. You're going to have to be tight on your perimeter. And, um, yeah, the KPJ, um, he's actually he's better than Jalen defensively. Uh, A lot of his help side defense is really, really good. The on-ball defense is terrible. Um, He gets beat a lot, a lot, a lot of he gives up a lot of penetration. Jalen is just kind of small. A lot of people just bully him into the paint. Um, and he really just doesn't have the strength right now to do anything with that. The positives he does do on defense, he does fight over screens really, really hard. That's a good thing for him. He's probably one of probably one of our better uh, trying to get around screens in that. I've seen some people were giving Jabari crap for um, his screen navigation. Uh, people, Jabari is a big man. Yeah. Like, that's not a skill set. <laughs> like, you know, they were saying, you know, how, why wasn't he staying? Like, he's a big. The fact that he's checking Luka Doncic and uh, – Spencer Dinwiddie in a game should be amazing enough. Like he's not going to be able to fight around screens. He's the dude is going to be a center probably in a power, you know, a, a part-time center when he's in his prime. So yeah, I mean, I think he'll be fine. I think Jabari will be fine. Honestly, he's my, like, if they don't do anything right, just make sure they take care of him. Because I think with a player like that, you have something at baseline, he's going to be at least a, a defensive stalwart on a good team. So you know, you just hope that it's not just on the guards. I don't want KPJ and Jalen to decide everything on this team and decide whether we're going to be good or not because they're just not ready yet. Yeah, one thing on the guard defense, you talk about Shane Goon and his foul trouble, and it just kind of gets back to 
the guards because, yeah, he's got some issues with guys coming at him full speed, but they're not coming at him full speed as much as your guards are doing their job. Yeah, it's the, it's the back and it's like the chicken and the egg thing is, you know, a lot of people have philosophies on defense. Should the back end be like all, everything? I think having a good big man that can protect the paint gives you a baseline of like competent defense. But ultimately to be to do anything significant, the perimeter has to be good. You would like to have both. Um, but on this bad team, I could see the argument for bringing in a like a rim protector to help them out. But to me, that just masks a bigger issue um, that you have. And if you ever want to be a competitive team, you're, you can't have bad perimeter defense. I can't think of any good teams that have bad perimeter defense. Even the Rockets with, you know, quote unquote, lazy James Harden. They had an elite when they were at their best. That 17-18 team, it was wings that could stop at the point of attack all across the board. You look at the Warriors when they're in their prime. It was, you know, Clay and Steph with the only weak link. You had Draymond out there. You had Harrison Barnes, whether it was KD. You know, all these teams, they have good perimeter defense. And the even the uh, the Lakers, when they won in the bubble, their defense was elite across the board. You can't get away from it, and you can't skip steps in this. So Jalen, Kevin Porter, they have to get really, really good um, at that part of their game, or we're just going to be, you know, I hate to say this, but, we're just going to be Steve Francis and Katina Mobley again. And, and I've argued against that in the past, but man, it's, it's sure is starting to look like that. Yeah. I've, I've brought up those names as well because I got them. Yep. Fr- I had a front row seat and that's what I, I've seen a lot with these two guys. Um, you, you know, Frank, I, I, I can't let you go without mentioning Donovan Mitchell had 71 points, oh, yeah. 11 assists and eight rebounds. And just so everybody knows out there, Frank's Twitter sprays, they came at me hard. When I suggested the Rockets oh, make a Lord. play for him over the <laughs> offseason, his numbers this year, 29 points per game on 49% shooting and 41% from three. The Cavs are now a three seed out east or tied for the third seed. Frank, when you got a chance, as I said before, to get a 25-year-old all-star for a bunch of what-if Brooklyn picks, you do it. Yeah, I'll let you. You can have your victory parade, but I don't know my um, the the Donovan thing. It is strange because you know I think uh, you know I've heard the case for him. If you look at his playoff numbers, there, I mean, he's probably on pace to have one of the best playoff like stats in maybe in NBA history. Yep. I mean, since he was a rookie, he's averaging like twenty five a game on, and you know, like five and five on good efficiency, and he's constant in that. Um, I think that I guess it was one of those things where you get a it was actually the Utah Jazz were just <laughs> just not a good fit for him. And he he made up a lot of some of the things that they lacked. And uh, now that he's on a team with, you know, more complimentary pieces, more dynamic players, more dynamic bigs, um, you know, off guard in, in uh, Garland that could create his own. He's not having to do everything. He could really gets a lot of freedom. And if you think about it on that jazz team, um, he was the like the sole creator and a lot of those guys couldn't really do anything. So he must've really worked hard to get what he was getting. Now with this, the freedom he gets in this offense where he has multiple guys that can create their own shot. Um, yeah. You're seeing it. And the dude's built like an NFL running back. Um, he's explosive. His shooting is much, I mean, it's took a big leap this year um, in his efficiency. And yeah, this, you know, the, really the sky, even the defense that he was getting ragged on, uh, for what he showed is is really improved. 
Um, yeah, it's just a good fit, good trade for them. A bad trade uh, for uh, who, who was it that for Utah, right? What did they give up a bunch of stuff for? Well, that, I mean, the one was... thing the Rockets might not have had is, you know, Laurie Markkinen's looking like an all-star. But if, if Utah thought that Laurie Markkinen was going to turn into an all-star, then I've got some, you know, oceanfront property in Arizona, so to speak, right. to, to sell you because I, I don't think they could have guessed that. And the Rockets had some better young guys as far as potential and first rounders that you could put into that deal um, than the Cavs really had, you know, as far as, you know, you, you go, okay, well, these, these guys might be a part of our future along with the draft choices. And before I hear the chorus of, but what about Wemby people? I got a couple of thoughts on that. Number one, you didn't have to give up this year's first round pick because Cleveland right. didn't give up an asset like that. They didn't give up a shot at Wemby. The, those picks are in the future. Number two, your best odds this year for Wemby are 14%. You might as well cut that down to 7%. You heard me right. You might as well cut it down to 7% because I'd say there's at least a 50-50 chance that a seven-foot-three player craps out because of injuries. And I've got five decades of watching the NBA to know that's a fact. And, you know, you want to look at the Rockets organization alone. You know, it's Yao Ming. You know, his career cut short because of injuries. Or Ralph Sampson. We, we, we've seen it before. But... You know, this whole idea of like, oh, you get him and oh, you lose a shot at, you know, yeah, you you might you might have got into a play in game with Donovan Mitchell this year. But even forget that, even if you didn't get to the play in now, you've got to you still got at least a percentage shot. It's you're not going to get, a, a, oh, my God, a 14 percent shot. Oh, there's a good 86 percent shot that you're not getting Wemby. That's what we're all excited about this year. We got an 86 percent chance that we don't get him. So let's just, you know, I, I, I got to put that. All, all to the side because the, the, this Wemby stuff is just it's it's out of control and you've talked about it Frank I mean it, this is it's it's myth that you're gonna get the the first pick in the draft because you're terrible we we've been the worst team in the NBA the last two seasons and we picked second and third and I know Scoot's all right but it's not like Wemby it's not Wemby comes in and and, and that guy can, can be one of the top ten players in the NBA Scoot. It's it's a hard deal. It's a hard deal to be a top ten player when you're six foot two. Yeah, I think the Wemby thing is almost irrational at this point. You know, as we watched when we lost to Orlando, they could get Wemby. You know, just chugging along doing what they're doing, they could get Wemby and add add Wemby to Paolo. Uh, you know, the team that maybe the Pacers they could get Wemby, Spurs could get Wemby. So every team thinks they're going to get Wemby. And to me, my motto is you know. You you plan your future like you're not getting a good draft pick. That's what a prudent GM would do. Banking everything on the possibility of drafting a player that may or may not be good in the NBA um, is, is just foolishness. Um, obviously, you put yourself in position to do so. But at the same time, like you said with the Donovan thing, I mean, if Donovan Mitchell comes here, then, hey, guess what? You have a piece. Now, you try to – there are alternate routes to getting to where you want to go in the rebuild and um, – you know, I just think that the whole tank for Wemby thing is just to me is just dumb at this point because every fan base is saying that. So I don't know why people are just thinking that somehow it's just going to be us, despite the fact that the second and third teams, uh, third worst teams have in some cases in the past uh, since they changed the lottery odds, if one more first um, number one picks in the first the worst uh, first worst team. So um you know, the Donovan thing, you know, for the Jazz, I mean, to me, it was kind of a dumb trade in the sense that they took back all those picks. Uh, so, uh, the Cleveland looks like they're going to be a contender for the next half decade. And, uh, you know, I don't think any of those picks are going to convert to anything significant. 
because even if if Donovan gets hurt, Darius Garland is an all-star player. Um, Evan Mobley is on the rise. I still have a lot of faith in him. I think he'll be a good player when it's all said and done. And, you know, they have the guy that's supposed to be a rocket, Jared Allen, right now, who we've been trying to make up uh, make up for. And we're still going to still be trying to cover up that mistake Rafael Stone made uh, for, by not keeping him. Um, but, yeah, I think they're set. That's a good team. Um, you know, we can take some notes and, and write it down on how you can kind of team build um, from a team that went from having LeBron James to where they are. Um, and, and I think it was about three years they took the pivot. So, yeah, good for them. Good for them. Yeah, the, the thing I got a lot when I brought it up on your spaces was, well, Donovan's defense, Donovan's defense. Man, I, I, I talked about this last year. Look in the mirror. Jalen Green's defense is a way bigger issue because, look, Donovan Mitchell is six foot one, but he's built like a linebacker and he's got a six foot 10 wingspan. Jalen Green doesn't have anything physically that tells you he can turn it. He, he's built like a ballet dancer, not a linebacker. And, and that's an issue going forward for his potential defensively. Now, like what we talked about before is not acceptable, uh, what he's doing, Frank, but the, the potential of him defensively, it, it's just not good when you look at his body. It's, it's not there. Yeah, he's going to have to fill out. I think there's hope. I feel like he's going to get muscle on. What I'm not even concerned about his body is just the mentality, like, one thing I love about Jabari is that he really, you can tell he doesn't like to lose. And he still cares. Not saying Jay, I know they all care, but they're they're a little too casual with some of these losses for me. Like the most disappointing thing I've heard Jalen say was when he uh, echoed Coach Silas's remark of we're, we're a young team and we're rebuilding after a loss. I forgot which game it was that they lost. I never want to hear a player say that. Like, that's not your, your line to say. The coach can say that. The GM can say that. You should be pissed off after every single loss. For him to have that mentality, like there's time. We have time. To me, that's like, that's almost loser talk. Um, but, you know, as me, you know, being a former football player, like, I, you know, like, no matter who the opponent, you think you're, irrationally, you think you can beat everybody. And when you don't, you get mad at yourself. So just stuff like that, you know, I don't know if it's just the culture they have, but it definitely is. I am a little worried, like I said. Um, I think it's still fixable. Hopefully they can shake some things up um, this offseason, bring in some vets that are going to push him and challenge him in the right way. His vet shouldn't be K.J. Martin. K.J. Martin should not be the voice of reason on a team. As good as, and I respect him, and he's too young. You know, after the EG comment, he's the one that came out to the media and said that, you know, we just have to be patient. It's a rebuild. I mean, the dude's 21. <laughs> like, what are we talking about here? Like, son, go sit down. You know, like, there should be other vets on this team that's guiding these guys and even helping KJ with his development. It's really just a, just a poor, poor job right now. And um, it's not just Silas. You know, Stone has to get some of that because he put together this roster and he thought this was good. And this is what I'm going to use to compete against the other teams like Orlando. And you look at their team, you look at um, Indiana, you look at, you know, the Spurs with the less talent, they're doing more, you know, their guys are actually developing. They're not going through crazy stretches with shooting 23% in a month from three and 30% from the field. So, um, you know, we have our work cut out. Um, I think, they can still make strides over this next uh, half of the season coming up. Um, I think that it starts with the trade deadline. I think they need to move Eric Gordon out immediately. 
And um, at least that'll free up the spot for the guys that you've been clamoring for with uh, Tari and them getting more playing time in the offense, seeing what Tari and Jabari look like as a duo, because I'm really intrigued by that as well. Um, There's just so much they could do that. Like, all I don't know what they're doing that's just holding it up. Just more of the same. And the Eric Gordon market's really drying up because the Lakers are falling like a lead balloon. That's one of the teams. The Suns are in the middle of an ownership change. Brian Windhorst wrote that that is holding up some of the deals that they might make. It's not helping that maybe they see their window is not that open this year with Chris Paul uh, sort of disappearing and and becoming old finally. But uh, real, real (laughs) important stuff when you're looking at that Eric Gordon market, and that's why they shouldn't have taken their time with it. But anyway, we've banged that drunk before. If any of our uh, audience or Frank's audience that listens to me regularly was on vacation in the last couple of weeks and missed it, you're going to want to watch my conversation with the Ringers, Mirren Fader, I asked her about the features that she's written in the last few years on Jalen, Jabari, and Jayshon. She's written on all of them, three separate features. So we start off talking about the feature she wrote on Bryce Young. If you're not a Texans fan, just skip to the 16-minute mark. That's when we start talking about the Rockets. And at the end of this video, I'm going to put up a link to that interview so you'll see it on the screen. Uh, Frank, what's the latest on the Rockets Shop Shop? Just real quick, that interview was great. Um, great question about great, um, great interview on your end as an interviewer. Um, and yeah, great insightful stuff. You guys should watch that. Uh, like I'm shocked that a lot of Rocket fans aren't going to go watch th- that video. And even the Texans fans, great insight on Bryce Young. I really, really enjoyed it. Chop Shop, um, you know, my latest video I, I looked at was the Alpern Shangun video, you know, whether we should use him more. Obviously, the answer is yes. Um, check out that video. Um, really dig into a lot of the stats um, of when he is utilized. And it shows, like I said, when Shangun is playing, Jalen plays better. And when Jalen plays better, we win more games. It's it's a direct correlation there. Um, so check that out. Check out our live streams every um, every after every game, almost. Um, come to the Chop Shop channel. You can join my one of my co-hosts, um, Space Ghost, on the post-game live streams where you can interact with other Rockets fans and uh, kind of just express yourself after it these games we do a lot of therapy sessions nowadays more than usual so and also me on twitter on this uh, on the post game spaces not doing them as much this year really not much to talk about <laughs> it's kind of more of the same but um yeah i'll do i'll do those once in a blue moon so definitely check those out on on my twitter account yeah it's real depressing frank because it feels like it's just like groundhog day with the rockets it's like man yeah. we keep talking about the same things because they keep screwing up the same stuff every single game <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. That's crazy. It's bad for content creators. Um, but, you know, better days ahead. We'll, we'll hopefully one day we'll be a uh, contender again and be talking about how great our team is. All right, man. Thanks a lot again for coming on. We'll, we'll talk again next week. I appreciate you, brother. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, you can support the show by subscribing on YouTube and commenting on the videos. Listen to Houston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google. Don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.